welcome to my mommy's podcast. This episode is brought to you by Four Sigmatic, my source for superfood coffees, teas, and elixirs that contain powerhouse mushrooms for better performance, better sleep, and better health. I've been asked several times what the name means, and it's a cool story, so I wanted to tell you today. Basically, here's how it works. If you put all of the foods in the world on a scale from bad to good, um, many would fall in the middle as kind of average. The farther away you got on either direction from average, the more rare the food is and the more good or bad it is. So basically, this would be measured in sigmas, the more sigmas it has. So as you get farther out, one sigma away, two, three, four, only 50 superfoods in the world qualify as four sigmas away from the average or four sigmatic. And these are the best of the best, the highest quality. And these are the products that Four Sigmatic, that's the name, uses in their products. My favorites are the coffee with lion's mane in the morning, which has caffeine, but less than most coffee. So I can drink it without getting jittery. And the lion's mane gives me focus and clarity that regular coffee doesn't. I drink the reishi elixir or the reishi cocoa at night to wind down and pretty much all of their other products in between, including the matcha, the cordyceps, the chaga, even um, their different like superfood blends. I highly recommend all of it. I've never tried anything from them I didn't love. My kids love their cocoa and chai and you can save 15% on any order from Four Sigmatic by using the code wellnessmama, all one word, all lowercase at foursigmatic.com forward slash Wellness Mama. So again, F O U R S I G M A T I C dot com forward slash Wellness Mama. And make sure to use the code Wellness Mama to save 15%. This podcast is sponsored by Juve Red Light Therapy. These cutting edge photobiomodulation therapy devices use red light in very specific wavelengths to support the body in various ways. I first discovered red light therapy when researching ways to support my thyroid and to help combat the hair loss I had during the peak of my Hashimoto's. This simple therapy is still a part of my daily routine, even though I am now in remission from Hashimoto's. And I love how red light supports my skin, my hair, and even muscle recovery after a hard workout. Juve has a variety of sizes from small handheld units that are great for the face, joints, and for on the go, all the way up to full-size wall units that can be hung on the back of the door or even mounted on a stand, and even commercial size ones that can be used in doctors and chiropractors offices. Go to juve.com forward slash wellnessmama to learn more and to find out about special holiday financing. Again, that's juve.com forward slash wellnessmama. Hello, and welcome to the Wellness Mama podcast. I'm Katie from wellnessmama.com, and this episode is going to be all about the science of high-intensity interval training and how there is science and studies that support the idea that you can get more benefit from a workout that in total takes less than nine minutes than from a 45-minute run, specifically from two very short measured and intense burst of high-intensity exercise that are only 20 seconds long. I'm here with Ratna Singh, who's the mother of two. She has been married to a neurologist for 25 years and lives in London. And she is a co-founder of a new startup called CAROL, which is C-A-R.O.L, which stands for Cardiovascular Optimization Logic. And it basically uses AI and an exercise bike in a really complicated and amazing way to mimic this highly effective high-intensity interval training, or not mimicked, but to create this high-intensity interval training that is the gold standard in the studies. And the American College of Exercise and many other 
institutes have backed up the benefits of this. And we really go deep on how it works, how to get the benefits, how it does things like affect your AMPK and your HRV and all kinds of fun stuff. Really fascinating episode. And I loved getting to talk to another mom and founder who is on the top of her game and just knows her stuff. And I know that you'll enjoy this episode as much as I did. Radna, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having us. Really excited to be here with you, Katie. I am so excited to chat with you. It's so fun to get to talk to another mom who's in startup mode and running a company and all that goes with that. And I mentioned it in your intro, but you are the founder of the team. Is it Carol? Is that how you say the bike or is it? It's Carol. Yes, it is abbreviated for cardiovascular optimization logic. That was going to be one of my follow-up questions. That's awesome. That makes total sense and easy to remember. Um, So I think that's where we need to start, which is, can you explain what Carol is? Yes, of course. So first of all, the brand and where did that come from and why it's Carol? I got my inspiration really from Stanley Kubrick's uh, Space Odyssey 2001 all those years ago where there was a rogue computer program aboard the spacecraft and he was called Hal, had quite a personality actually, quite endearing, but he was crazy. (laughs) And uh, Hal stood for Heuristic Algorithm. And since then, you know, other people, other movies have used uh, names as abbreviations uh, for something a little bit more complicated from a technical perspective. So in you know, Samantha, in Her, there was Vicky in um, the Will Smith movie. So because we are all about artificial intelligence and because we want to be a brand that you feel very closely attached to, we wanted to give our bike, our system, our technology, a personality. So we combined the two together and came up with CAROL. CAROL stands for cardiovascular, that's the C-A-R. The O stands for optimization and the L stands for logic. And that's exactly what she does. She will increase your cardiovascular health and diabetes and other things as well, but generally your fitness, she will get it to as good as you are genetically able to to get to. And she is, you know, an AI. We are building the the fitness of the future. And um, she has a personality. (laughs) She, the way she, I mean, you've probably done a couple of rides now, Katie, you probably saw her interaction with you. Like her first ride is a first date with you. And then, you know, when she's got lots of little witty quotes that she'll give you throughout the ride or at the end of it, or she'll send you an email, et cetera. So people, I want people to build that relationship with Carolyn. At the moment, we released her lips as her logo, and the lips are made up of a a lot of uh, small uh, heartbeats. And over time, we will release other parts of her face. So there'll be the nose and then the eyes, and then eventually Carol will be this person with a face. And then you'll be like, ah, that's my coach. (laughs) That's so, so fascinating. And I think it's important to note, um, because you're right, I've done a couple of rides now and I have the Carol bike in um, my kind of like workout room. And it's, so when it comes, it looks like an exercise bike. But um, I think it's important to talk about how it's very much different from other exercise bikes, because there's obviously a lot of different types out there with the rise of some of these at-home bikes and then also spin classes. So walk us through how this type of bike and this type of software is so different than other types. Well, it's a bike because if you try to do this kind of exercise on any other piece of equipment like a treadmill or a Stairmaster, 
you would be, uh, you just wouldn't be able to. Uh, first of all, those machines are not reactive enough to go from zero to maximum intensity in under a second. And uh, two, if you were to run or, you know, try and do the stair climber at that speed and that intensity, you would injure yourself. And also, you know, we need to target your thigh muscles because they are the biggest stores of sugar in your body. And the best way for us to execute this kind of exercise is using an exercise bike. So that's why it's an exercise bike. Now, the laboratory, uh, all the signs that you hear about, they have um, bikes that they use, but they're all highly specialized bikes. They all use a certain formula that allows them to set a resistance that's unique to each person that's doing the ride. And it's usually a two-man operation. They're quite sophisticated machines. They're big, they're ugly, you know, they're bulky. And we just couldn't imagine having one of those in anyone's living room or bedroom or a workout room anywhere, uh, particularly in Europe. Well, you know, we don't have as much space as you guys do in America. So we had to come up with something as compact as um, our bike is very compact. It's about one foot long and you know one foot wide or less than that. And we have uh, the bike that is built to execute the exact protocol that the laboratories use. And I will say that what they do is something what's called true hit. The abbreviation, sorry, the interpretation of that in the normal world uh, is not exactly hit. So when people say they go to a hit class, they're pretty much at least going for 20 minutes or 30 minutes, sometimes 45 minutes. And that's not what the scientists would call hit. Uh, because if you do what we do, if you do true hit, you wouldn't be able to do it for longer than 20 seconds. And that's what happens on the bike. The reason we have the software is so that we can calculate the exact resistance and that's tailored and personalized to you that will get you to your peak power very quickly within five to 10 seconds. You will reach that peak power for literally a fraction of a second and then you're going to start losing power because you've tr triggered your uh, the, the depletion of your sugar stores in your thighs. And by the end of 20 seconds, you will be at absolute fatigue. So after two 20-second uh, sprints, you will not be able to do any more, nor would you want to, nor would you need to. So that's the key difference between what we do and what, you know, other hit modalities uh, that are out there. I think, you know, in order to get to absolute fatigue doing a hit class in your gym, you'd have to be there for 30 minutes. We do it in 40 seconds. And this requires... Um, you know, specialized software, it requires machine learning, it requires uh, calculations, algorithms. And because we want to continue to, to get you fitter and train you for the long term, we don't just stop on your first ride. Every ride you do is different because we, you will get fitter. And we calculate things like your rate of fatigue, which is very important for us to know whether you are tiring fast enough or not. And obviously, as you get fitter, you will not fatigue as much as you, you could. So we will increase resistance. But because there are no knobs on our bike and everything is controlled by the computer, we do it in decimal points. So it's very precisely calibrated. And Carol, you know, is not always evil. <laughs> She'll 
bring the resistance down if you've been struggling um, or keep it where it it is if you know she thinks that your rate of fatigue is exactly the way she wants it so the idea is that you get on the bike you log in and carol does the rest all you have to do is breathe and pedal and follow the instructions yeah, I love it. And I can definitely vouch for the fact that when those two 20 second sprints really like you by the end of it, I was like, I have nothing left. I could not do this for 20 more seconds. And you can feel it like I feel like it adjusts up. So like if you think you're getting stronger and you feel like you're pushing harder then it, adjusts right beyond that to kind of keep pushing you. And I love the concept of this, especially as a mom of six. Wow. Six mom. Wow. Congratulations. You're a hero, man. That is amazing. Oh, thank you. It's a wonderful, fun life. But you know how it is as a mom. We're so busy. So I love that this can fit into under 10 minutes. And I want to talk about the science of that, of HIIT training, because I think there's so much misinformation when it comes to fitness and especially what is actually ideal. And so many people have this idea that we need to be doing tons and tons of cardio and going for runs and you know biking for an hour. And I personally have looked into the science because I don't love running for an hour. And I love that there's some really solid science about HIIT or high intensity interval training. So walk us through the science, especially for people who maybe think like there's no way something so short could be so effective. Oh, absolutely. And trust me, 90% of the time we get this reaction, you know, oh, come on, that just cannot work. You know, this is snake oil, it's hogwash. It's all about sweating. Because the other thing is when you do the rides, you don't sweat. Uh, it's because you work hard for two 20-second sprints. You, your body just doesn't get hot enough to start sweating, unless, of course, you're doing the exercise in a sauna, then you will sweat. But, you know, you sweat because you get hot. It's not because you worked hard. It doesn't, there's no equation there, because you could be sitting on a beach and start sweating if it's a hot day, right? By just sitting there. So, um, so the science um, is, is extremely solid. And and we get this um, skepticism from everybody all the time. And my answer really is is very simple, and that is that um, all you've been sold something that has not been incorrect, but it's what people knew at that time. And you know, science progresses at all times, and we have found this modality that works better than anything else. And until Carol came on the scene for the consumers, it was literally hiding inside laboratories and sports, um, you know, elite sports training places, etc. And what we've done is brought it to the masses because like you, Katie, there's millions of people out there, myself included, and I frankly built this for myself in many ways, that we don't have the time. We are really busy. And frankly, you know, if I do have an extra hour, do I want to go to the gym? No, I'd rather do something I really enjoy, even if it is just sitting in front of Netflix and, you know, dozing out on some program. So, you know, the, we, when we did the research, we found that lo- most people who say they don't exercise enough is because of time, definitely inconvenience, because you have to go there, you have to change, you have to do the run, you have to shower, you know, change again and come back. That's inconvenient. And frankly, it's just dull. It's just boring. So that's why we have this, you know, obesity crisis that we have right now in the world. So 
it is something that has got you know years of scientific evidence behind it and we have worked really hard we've we've spent like four or five years in R&D mostly because we needed the data to be able to really refine our algorithms to make sure it's adaptive and it's accurate accurate and it's you know, producing the results that uh, the laboratory produces, and for sure it does. So that's um, the story behind Carol. the The reason uh, HIT has been um, misunderstood is simply because the ability to do what the science scientists do in the lab was just not possible. You know, if you look at the the, the equipment they use and the methods they use, it is very different to what everybody else uses. As you know, Katie, when you do a ride, the intensity is pretty high, right? And you don't have the option to dial down that resistance. Now, when we did our own tests and we asked people, oh, come on, you know, just up the resistance, they would up it, but it would never be high enough. And if it got tough for them, they would dial it down. And what you perceive as high intensity and what the system perceives as high intensity are two very different things. And the data isn't going to lie. So even now when I've got people who come and they get on the ride and, you know, they do their ride and uh, at the end of it, they go, oh my God, that was really hard. Can I stop? Can I stop? They're wanting to stop it, you know, 12 seconds in, sometimes 10 seconds in. And at the end, when we see the trace of their performance, clearly they had a lot more to give, but what was holding them back was their mind. And that's what happens. And this is why Carol will not allow you to lie. We don't allow you to change the resistance. And we set the resistance that we know is going to deplete your glycogen. And also we know if you're not pushing hard enough. So the next time you come, you know, it gets a little bit harder and then you clock, oh, okay, fine. I better, you know, do it this way until you establish your rhythm with Carol. So, so, you know, it's not really as simple as intervals as in, you know, do this for a short time, then go high, do this for a short time, do this high. It works, Katie. I'm not saying it doesn't work. It just takes longer, which brings me a little bit to the science of it, because Everything is depending on the rate at which you burn your sugar stores in your thighs. Now, if you want to burn them through exercise like jogging, it's going to take you a longer time because it's just lower intensity, lower impact. So it just takes longer to burn that sugar. You can accelerate that burn if you do a hit class in your gym, like you know CrossFit or whatever, or you can do it in 20 seconds through Carol through true hit, through what the laboratories use. And um, it's the pressure cooker uh, idea of hit, really, because we wipe out those sugar stores within 20 seconds. And you will see it in your own graphs, Katie, because you reach your peak power it's for a fraction of a second, and then you start to lose power. Now, that's your sugar stores going. And by the end of 20 seconds, you know, there's not much left. Yeah, it's amazing how you actually very much do feel that. Like you, I feel like you like rev up, you start sprinting, and then you're like, "Oh, I got it!" And then like, nope, there it goes. It's like you hit that that peak, and then it does it tails off. So, why is that glycogen depletion so important? Like, what's happening in our muscles and in our body when we do that? Okay, so um, we target the biggest stores of sugar in your body, your thighs. Yeah, we are as 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 humans still evolutionarily behind. Our lifestyles have evolved a lot faster than our bodies have. And the sugar in our thighs likes to stay there because who knows, a tiger might come around the corner and you need to be able to run away from the tiger. So 
you know, if you look at caveman, the caveman was walking, gathering uh, food, or he ran for his life. He couldn't afford to jog because if he jogged all the time, he just wouldn't have the energy to run away from the tiger, right? So that's the natural exercise for walking and doing, you know, very hard, hard sprints. So uh, the other thing to realize is that the sugar that's in your thighs, that's either burnt locally or it's sucked in from your blood and stored for burning later on. It doesn't actually give it out if you need sugar. If, for example, your blood you know, has got less sugar in it because you haven't been eating your carbs and your glycogen stores in your liver have gone, your body will turn to fat, which will be turned into sugar to supply you the energy that you require. It's not going to come out of your muscles until you know, it's an extreme um, diet and an extreme condition. So when you deplete the glycogen in your uh, thighs, a panic reaction goes out. It says, my God, Katie is under threat. Um, we have to change uh, ourselves in order to give her the power, uh, the energy, the oxygen that she requires. Otherwise, as a species, she'll be extinct. So uh, the scientists obviously have gone into great depth to understand what happens literally second by second. First of all, they use ultrasound to see how much glycogen is burned. And, in, you know, they've tested our bikes and absolutely glycogen is burnt. We were tested live on TV. And then in the first 10 seconds of the sprint, you basically have what's called rapid glycogen depletion. So you reach your peak power and then you start to uh, drop. So that's, it's rapid. It's all about the rapid glycogen depletion. And then um, when that happens, um, it releases other proteins, other hormones, other um, enzymes. And the key one is AMPK during the first sprint. That's released in the next 10 seconds of the sprint. So that's how it splits. And then you recover for three minutes so that you can have a good second sprint. And in the second sprint, um, all these uh, molecules that have been released in the first sprint become activated so that they can go on and facilitate the other uh, molecular processes that are required to make you fitter, that are required to make you slimmer, that are required to make you more insulin sensitive, etc. Um, and the master switch, there's a, something called PGC-1 alpha. That's the master switch that controls a whole bunch of other, you know, regulating molecules. And that's the one that's activated in the second sprint. And scientists have found that within 20 seconds, everything that needs to happen happens. You don't need 30 seconds. You certainly don't need a third sprint because nothing else is happening in, those, in that third sprint. So this really is the minimum effective dose of exercise. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, it absolutely does. And I think it you know, flies in the face of this idea that we have, especially in America, that if some is good, more is better. And there's always that temptation to like, do more or take more of a supplement or whatever it may be. And in this case, you're saying what the actual science says. You've looked at the minimum effective dose, which is going to give you the best result with the least amount of time and input, which is you know really helpful for those of us who are especially busy. And I know there's a lot of really amazing science on the long-term effects of this type of training, the high-intensity training. Can you talk about like what are some of the effects people see when they do this regularly? Yeah. I mean, again, the American Council on Exercise tested Carol against what 
the government guidelines are for exercise, which is 30 minutes of, um, you know, medium intensity exercise five days a week. And, um, you know, we showed that we doubled the fitness gains, we doubled the drop in blood pressure, we doubled the improvement in your cholesterol levels, like literally every parameter, we doubled the um, improvements. And the long-term effect of this is you, as, uh, you know, as you get older, your risk levels drop significantly a lot more than if you were doing the government guidelines or, or other types of exercise. So for example, when you do this kind of exercise, just by increasing your fitness, your VO2 max, which is linked to you know your future risk of getting ill, um, by increasing that by 20%, you drop your risk levels by 20%. So when um, the scientists, the ACE people did um, the comparisons, they did you know check to see what effect the two types of uh, exercise modalities have on people's uh, risk levels for future illness. And uh, we, Carol, dropped the risk levels by 67%, whereas the government guidelines dropped it by 26%. So that's the long-term effect. You're going to live longer and more healthily, but you've got to keep doing it. Obviously, you can't do it for eight weeks and stop. But that that is the long term uh, benefit, and so from a on an individual basis, obviously that's important. But also from a public health and healthcare systems perspective, that's huge because you know healthcare systems are collapsing, and they'll be on the needs soon if we're not careful. Yeah, absolutely. It's a sobering thought. Um, you mentioned VO two max. Can you explain what that is for anyone who's not super familiar with that, and why that's such a good predictor of long term health? Yeah, so VO two max is basically uh, it's it's how much oxygen, the maximum amount of oxygen your body can take in and utilize, right? Um, and the better you are at utilizing uh, oxygen, uh, the the healthier you're going to be because um, you know you've got more mitochondria, you've got mitochondria who can use that oxygen, you have. Um, you know, your all your bodily processes just work a lot better if you are able to take in and process and use oxygen better. And it usually, you know, is related to how fit you are. Um, so there's lots of interrelated uh, aspects of it. So VO2 max measures your fitness levels, but your fitness level um, is also due to many other things. For example, you have more mitochondria, uh, which are tiny little cells, power cells in your body. And they are the ones that produce energy. You definitely want more of them uh, because that gives your skeletal muscle much greater health, much more integrity, especially as you get older. So if you are, you know, you have more fitness, you're going to have more mitochondria. And the other thing it does is just, you know, how your how flexible your arteries are, so that your body can, you know use that oxygen better. Um, if you've got hard arteries and not very flexible or clogged arteries, you know, you're just not going to be, so your fitness is going to be low. So when, although VO2 max is a measure of fitness, it actually shows that your body is functioning well as it should be. You know, your arteries are good. Your heart is strong. It's pumping out more oxygenated blood with every heartbeat. And that means that your heart doesn't have to work so hard, right? I mean, if you're not fit, it's like, you know, to do, you know, job X might take double the heartbeats. Um, if um, if you're fit, it might take half the heartbeat. So it, it just means there's less stress, less pressure on your heartbeat and your body is just working in a really nice way. So once you have all of these great things happening to you, reflected by a VO2 max score, 
then you um, are going to be healthier in the long run and less prone to illness. That makes sense. And I'm curious, it made me think of something else and I'm going to throw it out there. I don't actually know the answer myself, but what about heart rate variability? Is there any data that you have seen on HIIT training and improving heart rate variability? Oh, absolutely. And in fact, um, again, this is part of Carol's um, AI f- uh, future release. Um, I'm actually looking at my co-founder as I speak because he's working on the algorithms right now. We have the data, we just have to make sure it's it, it's you know processed properly. So we do measure your uh, heart rate variability and um, we want there to be a day when you hold the handlebars of Carol and she says, not today, Katie, you're too tired because she's analyzed your heart rate variability. Um, it most definitely improves your heart rate variability. Um, I don't have hard scientific data that's been published about it on Carol, but I can just tell you from observation, I look at my own HRV and I mean, I'm surprised that at the moment my readiness scores are where my Uro ring is high. And the only thing I can attribute this to is Carol. Literally a year ago, that was not the case. And other than Carol, I literally have done nothing else. So yeah, it, it definitely helps. That's fascinating. I, I'm new to it, but I wear an Aura ring as well. And I've noticed that like the times when I've done it, I seem to have good readiness even the next day, which can be unusual after a hard workout. So I wondered if that was the case. No, it definitely affects you. It is a hard workout, but remember it's it's um it's very short for your body. So it's although when you come off you're like god, I'm absolutely wasted. The impact on your heart has been only 40 seconds, right? So the damage isn't great. Though in fact there's none. There's very little. You get more damage when you're jogging because of the constant pounding of your heart and the constant pounding on your capillaries. You have more micro tears, which leads to you know scarring and inflammation and stiffness. So that that's actually less good for you, and that of course would would affect your heart rate variability, right? Because it depends on repair. And we say you have to give for twenty four hours to recover, let your body you know repair. But the, the, the damage that it's doing to you is not, it's not that great. If you're jogging and you're you know, exercising for longer, this constant beating actually hurts your arteries and, and your heart and your capillaries. And they end up having a lot more um, micro tears, which leads to inflammation and takes longer to recover, et cetera, et cetera. So I think all in all, all the factors that can affect heart rate variability negatively are just absent from this kind of exercise. It's just just positive. I know it sounds like utopia and I'm sorry it does, but it does. It really does. And so to kind of give an overview of an optimal scenario based on what the science is saying, how often per week, per month would someone use this? Is it something that can be done every day or is that actually not recommended? And are there other things we should be doing as well, like just walking or like low intensity, or is this, does the data say this is enough on its own? So for your health, for fat loss, we would say you do not need to do anything more. So anything that you do cardio, any cardio that you do for whatever reason to lose weight or whatever, you don't need to do anymore. Uh, Carol is all you need and you should do it three times a week. Now, very recent research is showing that actually two weeks, two sorry, twice a week is is good enough. But I think three times a week at the moment is is the recommend. Well, I know it's the recommendation. 
you can do more in between because we have more than one program. So we have the Energizer, which is 10 second sprints. If you want to do something every day, just pack that in on your days that you're not doing the proper intense sprints. And let's say if you want to lose fat uh, and do it in an aggressive way, then we have a fat loss program on there as well, which again is, is not very long. You will sweat on that one. It's just, you know, you do 30 sprints, which are eight seconds long, followed by 12 seconds rest and it's back to back. 30 or 60. Ugh. And the endorphins that come out at the end of that are just amazing. Um, but that that protocol has shown to uh, lose nine times more fat than, you know, if you were jogging or doing lower, lower intensity exercise. So you can do something every day if you want to. But as I think you probably know, Katie, it's, um, you know, it takes a while to to recover and you probably don't want to do it every day. Um, and if you don't want to do it every day, just don't, you know, most people who do three times a week of the intense get spectacular results. That's what the ACE report got spectacular results. So there's no reason why you, your listeners wouldn't be able to get the same. And you mentioned your sweat on the fat loss one. And you also mentioned in the beginning that on the, just the high intensity one, you actually don't sweat. And I think this is another important point to bring up because I think in a lot of people's minds, sweat is tied to a good workout or to fitness. And um, I think that's something we need to kind of like separate because I think from my understanding, at least, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, there's benefits to both. Sweating is great because it helps things come out through our skin. It's a detoxification mechanism the body uses, but it doesn't necessarily indicate whether a workout was or was not effective. My personal opinion is we should be sweating every day in some form. I prefer saunas personally, but that doesn't necessarily tie to fitness. But I'd love to hear your take on that. Absolutely, 100% what you said is correct. So, sweating is not necessarily related to how hard you've worked. Like I said, if you sit in a hot room, if you sit in a sauna, if you are on a beach and it's a hot summer's day, you'll start sweating, right? Because you get hot. You sweat because you get hot. With the Carol exercise, you do just two 20-second sprints. The rest of the time, you're just pedaling very slowly, just at walking pace, and so your body just doesn't get hot enough to start sweating. The number of people I've seen in pinstripe suits do the right and then, you know, get back to, to work. Um, some people tell me that they re- totally reversed the way their morning routine used to be. So instead of, you know, going to the gym, showering, getting ready and leaving, it's shower, get ready, do a right, leave. <laughs> so it's, it's um, you, you don't sweat, certainly not enough to, to need a shower. You may get a little bit warm if your room is warm. So um, but that doesn't mean that you haven't worked hard because you have worked very, very hard. And what you've done is triggered the processes in a very smart way. If you were to do something for longer and sweat, you will still trigger the same processes. It would just take you a lot longer to do. So it's your choice. I agree with you. Sweating is really, really important. Um, I personally love to sweat like you in a sauna or I do some hot yoga. And um, you ask the question, what else should you be doing? I think you do need to do some resistance work, especially for the upper body. Um, I think yoga and Carol go extremely well together. But if you want to do something else, that's that's up to you. But you definitely don't need to do any more cardio. Perfect. And you mentioned also that, and it's no secret, obviously, we're seeing the healthcare system have all kinds of problems. We're just seeing a rise in health problems across the board. What do you think are some of the other factors contributing to this and other things we can do complementary to, obviously, the studied benefits of high-intensity training um, to help reverse that trend, even if it's just us personally um, taking initiative in our own lives? 
I think that you know you've got to do diet as well as um, as well as the um, the exercise together. I think that it's a simple equation: calories in, calories out, and you um, should take responsibility and choose you know healthy food. It's not that we don't have the education about what that is. We all know that you know a bowl of blueberries are going to be better for you than a bowl of Smarties, but um, we don't always make that choice. And sometimes it's just a mental mental health issue or whatever, but we just need to be aware of that. And I think the government needs to do a bit more. You know, sometimes trying to create behavior change isn't just about telling people they should be doing something. Just make it difficult for them to do the undesirable behavior. So, you know, rising taxes, for example, on unhealthy food is one example. It's, you know, maybe... Prime, maybe incentivizing good behavior is another example, but on a public health level, I think they should be, they should be doing a little bit more. And in fact, something that Carol is going to be doing at some point um, is just to help you. Again, it's not supposed to punish you; it's just supposed to help you. That people don't realize how much sugar is in a, you know, a baguette, for example, because they think, oh well, there's just a, you know, some meat in there. There's some lettuce. There's some tomatoes. But the baguette itself is massively, massively heavy in sugar. So what we are going to be doing is taking the common food groups that people consume and just instead of, you know, let's say you're taking a baguette uh, filled with prosciutto, we will show you uh, a baguette, but the baguette is made up of sugar cubes and there's prosciutto inside there. So you just get the mental idea that, oh my God, there's 40 teaspoons of sugar in that baguette. Once you have that education, I think you just wouldn't want to touch the baguette anymore. So a lot of it is just not knowing, you know, what's in there. And people think that so many of these, you know, healthy foods are healthy, but no, you look at them, they are loaded with sugar, loaded with sugar. It doesn't matter (laughs) healthy sugar or not, sugar is sugar. And the worst kind is fructose, which, um, you know, like agave syrup, people say is very healthy. No, it's fructose. It goes to your liver. It turns into fat there. And um, it's just a lot of bro science that's out there as well. A lot of just anecdotes and what's trendy, et cetera, et cetera. I just think people have to be better educated. And I think the government needs to have a little bit more of a of a, of a hand in doing this. Exercise, I think, is really vital. If people don't have the time to do it, then we need to be able to provide short and effective alternative. That's what I think we're doing. That's our part of contribution to this, we think, we hope. Um, and we'd like government to sponsor this. And just, you know, the, because you don't sweat, Carol should be literally everywhere people congregate. They can be, we can be in airports, we can be in um, train stations, we can be in service stations on the you know, highway. So when people stop and take a break, um, have a quick ride, it'll wake you up. And you know, uh, you, instead of sitting in the taxi companies, they should have them at their depots. I think you know, if, if these became more publicly available, then people would just do it more. I don't want to preach to anyone, Katie, because you know, we all have our own you know, situations in life and you can't judge people. But I think awareness is a really important thing. I absolutely agree. And oh, my, wouldn't that be amazing if we had tools like that in the airports? I spend so much time in airports these days. Um, I've also heard you, and I love, the thing I love about Carol is it gives you like a very simple, quick and highly effective tool that you can use. And I've also heard you mention before in other interviews, um, a couple things that dietary wise can be very simple, but very effective. One being not combining sugar or carbs with Fat. And I think that's a really simple rule that people can remember. Can you explain why that's important? 
Yeah, because, you know, fat um, will be turned into carbohydrates that will give you the energy that you require, right? So if you add carbohydrates and sugar on top of fat, it's just a quadruple whammy and you don't want to do that. It's, it's The excess is something your body won't be able to cope with and it just gets stored as fat. So just don't do that. You know, leave as, as much of a gap between the two different food groups. But I, Katie, am not a believer in eliminating food groups. I really am not. I just think that it doesn't make instinctive sense to me. But forgive me, this is just my opinion. I know that there's lots of people much smarter, much more experienced than I am, and they have their opinions. I'm just giving you mine. Um, for me, I think what's in, what's the best is to do intermittent fasting and, and eat what you want other times. Obviously, don't go crazy, but and don't eat donuts all the time or anything like that. But as long as you make healthy choices and do intermittent fasting, you will have great uh, weight control, but also you'll have better health because intermi intermittent fasting does more than just help you lose weight or cut your cal calories. It's you know, lowering your IGF-1 levels, lower rates of cancer, your body gets to repair in the time that you're not eating. So it's just much, much, much healthier. And I don't know. Sometimes when I do it, I, I get a kind of, um, I just get more present, um, uh, just because you're <laughs> looking at yourself, you're starving and you're thinking, okay, as so I just observe the trees a little bit. Sorry, I'm digressing now, so I should stop. I love that you brought up intermittent fasting. And I think it's another area that's misunderstood certainly by the conventional recommendations. And, you know, because you often hear that from the conventional world of like, oh, you should eat small meals every three hours or whatever it may be. And women, especially, I feel like get a little nervous about the idea of fasting. And I always say like, there's so much data you can, if it makes it less scary, call it time-restricted eating or time-restricted feeding, which is what a lot of the research calls it. But there's so much data and you do it anyway when you're asleep. We all fast while we're asleep. So just build, like extend the window. This episode is brought to you by Four Sigmatic, my source for superfood coffees, teas, and elixirs that contain powerhouse mushrooms for better performance, better sleep, and better health. I've been asked several times what the name means, and it's a cool story, so I wanted to tell you today. Basically, here's how it works. If you put all of the foods in the world on a scale from bad to good, um, many would fall in the middle as kind of average. The farther away you got on either direction from average, the more rare the food is and the more good or bad it is. So basically this would be measured in sigmas, the more sigmas it has. So as you get farther out, one sigma away, two, three, four, only 50 superfoods in the world qualify as four sigmas away from the average or four sigmatic. And these are the best of the best, the highest quality, and these are the products that Four Sigmatic, that's the name, uses in their products. My favorites are the coffee with lion's mane in the morning, which has caffeine, but less than most coffee. So I can drink it without getting jittery. And the lion's mane gives me focus and clarity that regular coffee doesn't. I drink the reishi elixir or the reishi cocoa at night to wind down and pretty much all of their other products in between, including the matcha, the cordyceps, the chaga, even... Um, they're different like superfood blends. I highly recommend all of it. I've never tried anything from them I didn't love. My kids love their cocoa and chai. And you can save 15% on any order from Four Sigmatic by using the code wellnessmama, all one word, all lowercase, at foursigmatic.com forward slash wellnessmama. So again, F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C.com forward slash wellnessmama. And make sure to use the code Wellness Mama to save 15%. This podcast is sponsored by Juve Red Light Therapy. 
These cutting-edge photobiomodulation therapy devices use red light in very specific wavelengths to support the body in various ways. I first discovered red light therapy when researching ways to support my thyroid and to help combat the hair loss I had during the peak of my Hashimoto's. This simple therapy is still a part of my daily routine, even though I am now in remission from Hashimoto's, and I love how red light supports my skin, my hair, and even muscle recovery after a hard workout. Juve has a variety of sizes from small handheld units that are great for the face, joints, and for on the go, all the way up to full-size wall units that can be hung on the back of the door or even mounted on a stand, and even commercial size ones that can be used in doctors and chiropractors offices. Go to juve.com forward slash wellness mama to learn more and to find out about special holiday financing. Again, that's juve.com forward slash wellness mama. I think to me what all of this points to the the like the science on the exercise and the science on the time restricted feeding and on diet is to metabolic flexibility and heart rate variability as well. Like our, our goal should be to be these adaptive, highly flexible beings that can handle if you eat, like you said, eat what you want in the meal when you eat it. Or when you, if you want to sprint, your body can handle it. Or if you want to just go for a long swim with your kids, your body can handle it. To me, that's like the gold standard is that we're highly adaptive and highly flexible. Um, is that kind of how you feel as well? Oh, 100%, Katie. You've hit the nail right on the head. We are, as humans, you know, highly adaptive. Otherwise, we simply wouldn't have survived all these years with all the changing conditions and the threats that we've had as we've evolved. So um, our bodies are adaptive, and that's how our exercise works. By putting you under severe stress for 40 seconds um, and your body just not knowing what has gone on, all it thinks is that you are in danger. And it needs to make you a fitter, leaner, healthier human so that you can survive as a species. And so what you do is you adapt. And that's why you need to leave yourself 24 hours of recovery in between so your body can adapt. So for example, if you're depleting your glycogen and your body doesn't have the time to restore that glycogen, you know, what are you going to deplete the next time you get on the bike? And so it's counterproductive, right? So as, as you said earlier as well, just make sure that you're, you know, you're eating correctly. You're allowing your body to do what it's supposed to do. Your muscles are supposed to be stores of sugar. Um, but, you know, if you burn it and then you eat sugar, it'll go into your muscles because there's space for it. It's a bit like going into a kitchen and trying to shove the groceries into cupboards. If they're full, where do you put it, right? You put, so it, it, you need to create space. So that in, in that analogy, you, you want to deplete your glycogen store so you can fill up when you eat carbohydrates or whatever, and uh, you can burn it again. If you don't you know, create space in your muscles, then that sugar is just going to become fat. And that's what you don't want. And you know, as you say, people are adaptive, right? You, If you're going to be a couch potato, your body's going to adapt to be a couch potato because the body will give you what you are asking of it. And I see this, Katie, interestingly, because you know, the worst skeptics are the, the runners, the marathon runners. They'll come and they'll say, oh, no, this is nonsense, nonsense. And I'm very, very fit. And I get them on the bike and I really, you know, push them hard. Um, at the end, they are pretty wasted. But what's revealing is that we have all this data, right? Like we have our octane score, which tells you your power per heartbeat. It's, um, it's, a, it's approximate to your VO2 max. And the theory is that the fitter you get, the more power you produce with fewer heartbeats because of your stroke volume is, is much greater. And they come out with lower scores than half the people that are work, you know, that are using Carol and would not consider themselves exercises or 
you know, fit people or runners. It's quite sobering. So the reason I'm saying this is that a runner's body has adapted to making him a runner, a marathon runner. A sprinter's body will adapt to making that person a sprinter. So you've got to choose, you know, if you walk, and I'm walking is a fantastic exercise, but it may not, well, walking will certainly not, at a, at a leisurely pace, will certainly not improve your VO2 max. But any movement is good for you. Motion is lotion. <laughs> you need, you know, your, your joints uh, get lubricated, you get fresh air, and your body uh, feels alive. So you should do it. You should do something. But if you want to optimize yourself and optimize your health and optimize your time, then, you know, there are other modalities to choose. I agree totally. My my thing is I love to just walk with people that I love to spend time with, with my husband and my kids and have it be a social thing versus I'm not trying to exercise. I'm just trying to spend time with people I love and be in the sun and move while I do it. Exactly. Perfect. And and that's, you know, the joy you get from that is so much better and so much better for you than the exercise itself from the walking, you know, the, the endorphins, the feel good factors that come out and just being present with your family. That's fantastic. I'm also curious because um, I've been in this nutrition side of this world for 13 years now and brought up things to moms like maybe the best thing to feed our babies in the beginning is not rice cereal. Maybe we should look at nutrient density instead of just palatability. And some of these things that went against the grain, um, pun intended there, but I know that you're also kind of bucking the trend when it comes to exercise. And I'm curious if you've run into any challenges going against these strongly entrenched belief systems, like that we need more cardio or we need to work out for 30 minutes five times a week or whatever it may be. Every day, Katie, a hundred times a day, literally there is not one person who hasn't said, really? But come on, can't be true until they get on it. Every single day it happens. Um, and I just tell them the facts. And I, once you've explained the rationale to them, most people who are open-minded will get it and will give it a go. And I have to say the American people are amazing at this. You know, they may not necessarily end up choosing you, but at least they'll give it a try. And, and that's why America is our biggest market because the, your mindset is so, so wonderfully open. So we do get that. And then you get some people who just won't believe it and just make, do everything they can to trash you. And at that time you just shut up and you basically say, okay, you know, please carry on doing what you're doing. You know, perhaps this is not the right option for you. But, you know, if you've got hard science, if you've got randomized controlled trials, when you've got a publication in a national journal that's peer-reviewed, I mean, hello. Yeah. And another area I think that you probably have some great perspective on is this idea of just balancing work and life and family. Um, most of the women listening have children and many of them, well, every mother works very, very hard, but many also work outside the home. And I know firsthand doing that myself, that there's a lot that comes with balancing family and work and all of the things that go with that. So um, you are a busy mom in startup mode. I'm curious if you have any things that help you keep balance or stay sane through all of that. I will be really, really honest and tell you that I, I don't, I don't, I try really hard to, but it always fails because I prioritize Carol at all times. And I suspect I'm a workaholic anyway. And I think I've come to terms with that. Um, luckily, I have two children who are, who've come up to be fairly balanced and normal. I've no idea how that happened. <laughs> but maybe it was boarding school that did it, but but they, they are fine. I've got a great relationship with them and they're polite, you know, good good human beings, which is what you'd want your children to be. But like all mothers, I've suffered my life with guilt. 
guilt, 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 guilt. You know, am I doing the right thing? Am I being the right mother? Did I say the right word? Did I feed them the right thing? Did I spend enough time with them? And I and I guess kids just kind of um, adapt to what their parents are doing. And in my case, the only thing I've done is I've not had a social life. So they either see me working, whether it's at home or in the office, but I'm around them, you know, and I think maybe that's helped. But it's very hard. It's really difficult, especially when you have a mission like you do, Katie, and like many people do. When you've got a mission, you just have to fulfill that mission, you know. And I hope that I'm a role, you know, I'm an example to my daughter. And I hope that I'm an example to my son, too, that uh, he went to an all boys boarding school. And I suspect that his ideas of um, women are slightly distorted and an English boarding school on top of that. So. I hope that seeing what he sees in me helps him balance uh, the view. I'm sure it does because as a millennial, you know, they're, 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 they're wonderfully uh, right on people. And yeah, so I'm waffling on, but, <laughs> but it's very, very difficult. And what we say about Carol is that she has a, she has one fantastic little line. She says, ditch the guilt, not the kids by doing the ride. But when you have a startup, I don't think you ever ditch the guilt if you're a parent. I don't know why men don't get this. Why don't they get it? They're just so easily able to compartmentalize. I don't think women can, and I certainly can't. I've totally failed at it. And it'll go down in my book as failure. (laughs) Well, maybe that's actually the key is admitting that in the modern world, with all the things on our plate, it is difficult and there's a lot that comes with it and we're not going to do it perfectly. And you certainly aren't going to do all the things all the days. And it's about, and maybe it's also about that supporting each other. I think community at the end of the day is a huge part of that and having those support systems around you that help you get through startup mode or help you get through whatever the challenge anyone faces in their daily life um, and supporting each other. And speaking of kids, I feel like that's another point we're probably going to get questions about is, um, assuming they're tall enough, can teenagers and kids use the bike as well? And if like a family has the Carol bike, can everybody use it who's big enough to use it? Oh, definitely. So, I mean, my my twelve year old daughter uses it, and so definitely can can use it. The only thing we'll find with younger kids is that their heart rate just tends to be a little bit faster than uh, adults, and um, because we have safety algorithms that we build in, and it's checking your heart rate. Not if your heart rate's too high and it doesn't recover fast enough, the ride aborts automatically. Um, so sometimes that happens with the kids; the ride's just constantly aborting. But we have an override factor. You just kind of go override and, and you can keep going. Um, but they can certainly use it. Absolutely. I mean, our scientists will say it's a fantastic thing for, for kids. Um, you know, childhood obesity is on the rise. You've also got um, childhood diabetes has doubled in the last 10 years. So it's great as long as they are tall enough to use it. Absolutely right. Awesome. And for anybody who's interested, I know we've talked a lot about the science and about, and people may be wanting to just try it by now. Um, The website is carolfitai.com. That'll be, of course, linked in the show notes. Um, And I believe you guys have given me a discount code, which is just wellnessmama, all one word, which gives $150 off. Um, Anything else people need to know if they want to jump in and try it? Uh, No, that's about right. And I think we do have several locations where people can go and and give it a whirl and see what they think. Because I think, Katie, until you experience it, it is really hard to believe. But once you've experienced it, it, you know, you you get it. But how do you do it with your children? You know, you've got six children, you're doing this. I mean, that must be absolutely insane. 
it's a busy life for sure. I am very big on systems and actually um, to get vulnerable for a minute, several years ago, I probably came very close to having like a full down, full nervous breakdown just with everything that was on my plate. And I almost deleted the website because I realized I could not balance everything anymore and I wasn't going to let my family suffer. And in that moment, I had this clarity of realizing in business, everything runs smoothly because I have systems and I have people who help me and I have KPIs and I have all these things. And then at home, I'm just trying to do it all in my head. And so I implemented a ton of systems in our personal life that keep the family running smoothly and that take mainly the mental stress away of, I know what I'm going to cook. I know what the meal plan is. I know when everything's going to happen. So there's no stress of the overwhelm of trying to figure that out. I Basically, I still have to do the activities, but I don't have the stress of trying to figure out the activities. So I kind of just solve for that variable. Could you please write about that? Because you could tell me how you do that. I need it. Help. <laughs> I need the systems help. I know. I think that's going to have to become my next book. I think I've had enough people be like, yes, I need to know how to do that. But I think also that it's acknowledging that motherhood comes with a lot these days and it's hard. In my mother's time, I mean, it was a very different world. But I have to say, I think even then they did an amazing job because I mean, my, you know, I've, I come from a family of doctors and these ladies are working working hard, long hours, yet they're amazing cooks. I don't know how they did it. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I can't believe our time has flown by so quickly, but I am so grateful to you for being here and for sharing today. This was such a fun interview and I really appreciate your time. No, thank you, Katie. Thank you so much for your time. And I hope, um, you know, I've been half sensible and um, I look forward to staying in touch with you. And, you know, any of, of your um, listeners can easily drop me a, a, a note on info at carolfitai.com and I'd be sure to respond. Amazing. Thank you so much. This has been incredible. And thanks to all of you for listening. I hope that you'll join me again on the next episode. If you're enjoying these interviews, would you please take two minutes to leave a rating or review on iTunes for me? Doing this helps more people to find the podcast, which means even more moms and families can benefit from the information. I really appreciate your time and thanks as always for listening.